Well, the passage, of course, is Ephesians chapter 1. In a way, this is such a deep passage that it's a passage to be studied, perhaps, rather than just read. But my job is to read it. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfilment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. I want you to imagine a 15-year-old boy sitting down with his Bible. Uh, he'd been forced to go to church all his life. He wasn't yet a believer. He's sitting down reading the letter to the Ephesians. This, this man, I'm not going to tell you who it is, he becomes one of the most influential Christian leaders in the U.S. And he says this, as a 15-year-old boy reading Ephesians, Jesus Christ became the center of everything for me at that moment. I'd been quickened. I was alive in Christ. And to think that I was united to the, Lord Jesus, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this longing to contribute to a unity in Christ, it became the passion of my entire life. Isn't it extraordinary that, that, that one 15-year-old boy with an old manuscript, an old letter written 2,000 years ago, could have his life so radically changed? But that's what the Word of God does. This letter to the Ephesians, it is the kind of letter that just grabs hold of you and it puts a spotlight on Jesus and says, this is how amazing Jesus is. You've got to know him. Letter to the Ephesians, it kind of it stirs your soul and you're going, wow, that God would love me that much. 
Ephesians has been described as one of the most significant documents ever written. It's a pretty high bar, isn't it? Someone else said, no New Testament writing more joyfully celebrates God's grace in the gospel than the letter to the Ephesians. With this emphasis on Jesus and God's church and our relationships within the church, there's no more important book for our church to study today. And that's why we're looking at Ephesians for 12 weeks, because it's flooded with God's grace. It's all about how amazing Jesus is and how amazing God's church is. I know that our experience of church can be very mixed. You know, we know that church should be a place of love and acceptance and forgiveness, but in reality, church is just messy, isn't it? And Ephesians says, this is what church could be like. This is what church should be like. I'm really excited to preach Ephesians. I've called it the sermon series, One, One Lord, One Faith, One Church. Because that's the big message of Ephesians. This is not just a letter about you. I know that when we come to church, we often hear sermons, we just think me, 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 me. It is about you. It's about your relationship with Jesus and your hope and your security and your assurance. It's much more than that. It's about us together. It's about God's church. It's about God's people, this, this strange collection of people that gather together. And so Ephesians will challenge you. It will challenge your sort of consumerist mentality to church. You know, what can I get out of church? It will challenge your individual mentality. It's about me and me, 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 me. It's about us together in Christ. Before we dive into the, the book, let me give you some background. Anyone here been to Ephesus? A few people. What's it like? Old? Ruined city. Yeah. It's an amazing city. It was actually the most powerful city in what is now modern-day Turkey. You wouldn't think that to go today, but when Paul wrote this letter in about AD 60, he's writing from prison in Rome, and he's writing to this most powerful city of Ephesus, and in Ephesus in those days, there was this amphitheater which held 24,000 people. That's huge, isn't it? In the city, there was gymnasiums, there was a sporting arena, there was a massive marketplace, and you had this massive temple to the goddess Diana. And when Paul went to Ephesus, he spent about two years there, and he preached the gospel. You can read about it in Acts 19 and 20. It's an amazing verse, Acts 19, verse 10. It says, this went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Isn't that extraordinary? By the, Paul, by the time Paul left Ephesus... There was no man or woman or boy or girl who hadn't heard about Jesus. Now, when you talk about Jesus, what happens? Now, when you talk about Jesus, does everyone go, wow, that's amazing, I must give my life to Christ? When you tell people uh, they're worshipping a false god and you've got to turn to Jesus, does everyone go, oh, wow, that's amazing, I wish I'd, I wish I'd heard that before? Some people hate it, don't they? That's what happened in Ephesus. People hated the gospel and so they kicked Paul out. And so Paul writes this letter. Who's he writing to? Look at verse 1. To God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. And see, Paul doesn't write to the Christians in Ephesus. He, he describes them as God's holy people, God's saints is the word. 
the faithful in Christ Jesus. That phrase, in Christ Jesus, is going to occur time and time and time again in the letter. What does, it, what does it mean for you and I to be in Christ? Do you ever think about that? Do you ever think about what it means for you to be in Christ? What is Paul saying in that phrase, you're in Christ Jesus? He's saying much more than that you're just on Jesus' team. He's saying much more than you just follow Jesus. He's saying a heck of a lot more than you just come to church occasionally. If you're here tonight and you're in Christ, what it means is that, is that kind of you're in this marriage relationship with Jesus. You've been wedded to Christ. You're in this one flesh union with Jesus. So you get to experience all the, all the privileges, all the, all the benefits of being married to Jesus. It's the most extraordinary phrase. Now when you say, I'm a Christian, it doesn't quite encapture the idea that you have this intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who he's writing to, to Christians who are in Christ. Why is he writing to these Christians? Because like us, it's just very tough to be a Christian. We're surrounded by people who are saying, oh, Jesus, waste of time, don't waste your life, stop following Jesus, he's not worth following, you'd be happier without Jesus. And so Paul starts this letter by just reminding these Christians, these people in Christ, of all the incredible benefits that they have from being in Jesus. Look at it with me, verse 3. He starts off, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Literally, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms. That's the place where Christ is seated. That's the place where the, the powers are at work. We've been blessed there with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Uh, he's not talking about your your, your physical blessings, your fitness or your house or your health or your friendships. He's talking about these spiritual blessings that come because they're from the Spirit and they impact your inner being. As Paul thinks about what it means to be in Christ, I love the fact that he doesn't, he doesn't write a textbook on theology. He just kind of bursts into song. He kind of goes, wow, God, this is amazing. And that's my prayer for this sermon tonight, is that you wouldn't just leave church tonight with your head full of information, but you'd leave with your hearts just singing praises to God. You wouldn't just leave understanding more theological truths, but you'd leave with your, your lips and your lives going, wow, God, you are just amazing. That's my prayer. See, if you hear Ephesians rightly, your life will be changed. So let's look at verses 3 to 14. It's kind of like one of those impressionist paintings. It's just so big and so amazing. I've got five extraordinary blessings from being in Christ. Here's the first one. Praise God, because in Christ we are chosen. That's how he starts. Verse 4. For God chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. It's the kind of verse that you just can't get your head around. What he's saying is that God put you and Christ together 
in his mind before time began. Can you get your head around that? Paul is saying if you pressed the rewind button, you, you went back beyond Sydney 2000 and back beyond the first fleet and went, you went back beyond the Reformation and back beyond the time of Jesus and back beyond Moses and Abraham and Adam. Let's go way back in time, right before time, before creation existed. And it's just God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he's saying at that moment in history, in some bizarre way, in God's mind, he saw Paul Dale and Jesus Christ together. And he chose me then. He saw Ed Yorston and Christ together before the creation of the world. He saw Sophie Moll and Christ together before the creation of the world. He saw you and Jesus together before time existed. It's the most extraordinary doctrine. It's called election, and I know that Christians get kind of worked up by election. It's supposed to liberate us. Why is it liberating that God chose you before time began? It's liberating because your relationship with God is not dependent on some decision that you made five years ago, or in my case, 22 years ago, or in Peter's case, 59 years ago, it's dependent on a decision that God made before time began. He knew you. He chose you. He loved you then. That's liberating. It's humbling, isn't it, though? Let me me ask you, when did God choose you? Before you even existed. Let me ask you, before you existed, what good works had you done? Nothing. What acts of kindness had you done? Nothing. How many times have you sat in church before you existed? None. How many church lost had you been on before you existed? None. And what Paul is saying is that, you know, that you, you, your relationship with God is not dependent on what you've done. God chose you before you even existed. And I find that incredibly humbling. I don't deserve anything from God. It's challenging because he tells us in verse 4 that you're chosen to be holy and blameless, set apart for God and without blemish in his sight. And that's a tall order, isn't it? He chose us to be like Christ. But when I think that, that God has chosen me, this wretched sinner, my heart just goes, wow, thank you, God. Praise you, God. You ready for another blessing? I love this one. Praise God that in Christ we are adopted. It's the most beautiful word. Look at verse 5. In love, in love, God predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. What Paul is saying there is that that God chose us, not just chose us, but he chose us for something. He chose us for adoption. It just means that you're part of God's family. You get to enjoy all the blessings and privilege of calling God your father. You ever met anyone who's adopted? When someone's been adopted... One of the greatest blessings is that they, get from, they go from having no father to having a father. No family to having a family. And what Paul is saying here is that if you're in Christ, then God has adopted you. You weren't just born into his family. He chose you to be part of that family. 
I love this story. A young mother wrote this. I stayed with my parents for several days after the birth of our first child. One afternoon I remarked to my mother it was surprising that our baby had dark hair since both my husband and I are blonde. And mum said, well, darling, your daddy has black hair. But mum, I said, that doesn't matter because I'm adopted. And with an embarrassed smile, she said the most wonderful words I've ever heard. Oh, yes, darling, I always forget that. You know, she just loves her daughter so much, she just treats her as her own. And that's how God sees you and me. We're adopted. He's our father. We, we get to run to him and cling to him and trust him and we're secure in him. He, he's this perfect father. I know that many of us here, including me, did not have a good relationship with their father. But just imagine the father who's always compassionate, always there for you, always caring, always right, always wise, and you can just run to him at any time. Jim Packer, who says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much they make of being a child of God and calling God their father. Wow, God is my dad. Praise him. Blessing number three, praise God that in Christ we are redeemed and forgiven. Look at verse seven. In Christ... The tense changes. Past tense, we were adopted. Past tense, we were chosen. Present tense, verse 7, in Christ, we, we, ha- we have now, we experience now, today, redemption. Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Uh, that word redemption, it, it just means to liberate or to, to set free. Do you remember when, when God redeemed the Israelites from slavery in Egypt? When someone is liberated from prison, it just means that they are set free. And God is saying here that he has set us free from slavery to sin. He set us free from our old way of life. He's redeemed us from that. How did he do it? Through his blood shed on the cross. Do you ever think about that, what it cost God to buy you back? We take the bread and the wine. Do you ever think the price that God paid just to redeem you and to buy you? That's how precious you are to him. There's a story of a little boy who saved up his pocket money to, to buy all this wood and to make a little sailing boat. And he made the sailing boat and first or second time he took the boat out, took it down to the lake, put the boat on the water, massive gush of wind comes and blows the boat way, way, way away. He's lost his boat. I'm sure there were sobs and tears. A few months later, he's walking past a shop, and in the shop window, he sees his boat. And it's for sale with a price tag on it. And he walks into the shop and says, uh, that's my boat, I made it. He said, if you want it, you need to buy it. And so the boy spends months and months saving his pocket money, he walks into the shop, hands over his money, and buys back the boat. He says, uh, this boat is twice mine, I made it, and I bought it back. And that's what God says to you and me. You know, I made you, and then I bought you back with the blood of my son. You're twice mine. What does it mean to be redeemed? It tells you there in verse 7, it means you're forgiven. It's the most beautiful word. You have forgiveness of your sins, of your trespasses, all the ways that you willfully or unintentionally 
rebel against God, you're, you're forgiven from that. You're cleansed from that. The price has been paid. Let's think about that. Now, God knows that I am selfish, and God knows that I, I lie, and I, I'm angry, and God knows my immorality. He knows my thoughts and my heart, and he knows the, the things that I do wrong. He knows it all. He sees it all. And yet, because I'm, I'm covered by the blood of Jesus, the word he says to me is, you're forgiven. Have you experienced human forgiveness? You ever experienced that when you've wronged somebody and they say the words to you, oh, it's okay, I forgive you. And you know that, that weight that's lifted? Now, multiply that by, by a millionfold. Every single sin you've ever done. And God says, I forgive you. You don't have to do anything. You can't earn it. It's freely given to you in the one that he loves. I do keep meeting Christians who struggle with forgiveness. You kind of go through life and you just weigh down and you just feel guilty as though God couldn't possibly forgive you. Ever heard of a man called Albert Speer? Albert Speer was one of Hitler's confidants in World War II and he was the only one who acknowledged his guilt at the Nuremberg trial. And he went to prison for 20 years and served his jail sentence and he, he's got all these writings full of contrition and apologies and, and when he was released, he was interviewed by Good Morning America, kind of sunrise or today show. And the interviewer said this, he said, Albert, you've said the guilt can never be forgiven. And you said the guilt should never be forgiven. Do you still feel that way? And Albert Speer said, I, I served 20 years, and I could say my conscience has been cleared by serving my sentence, but I, I can't get rid of it. No, I cannot be forgiven, and I should never be forgiven. And the interviewer said, you don't really think you're ever able to clear your conscience? No. I don't think I can be forgiven. And a man called Charles Colson was watching that interview. He was a Christian and he wanted to write to Spear and say, but in Jesus Christ, of course you can be forgiven. But Albert Spear died a few days later, thinking he could never be forgiven. And I'm here tonight to say that if you're here tonight, you can be forgiven. There's nothing that you've done that can't be forgiven. Just come to Jesus. Just, just sit at the foot of the cross and, and allow yourself to be bathed in the blood of Jesus and, and see the crown on his head and the blood down his face and see the spear in his side and the blood gushing out and see the bloody cross with Jesus saying, I forgive you, I love you. Don't let anybody ever tell you that you cannot be forgiven because Jesus paid it all. And we leave here and it's like, it's like we're floating on air, you know. You ever had that feeling that I'm forgiven? It's a liberating experience. The Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as God removed your sins from you. He's chucked them into the bottom of the ocean, and you can't get them anymore. Now that is what God has promised you in Christ. Forgiveness of your sins. What's our response? Oh, that's interesting, Paul. I'll just write that down in my little notebook. Sort of the only response is, Alleluia, praise the Lord. 
I find it really hard to sing one particular hymn called It Is Well With My Soul. And there's a verse that kind of chokes me up every time. It says, uh, My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Friends, sometimes I think that, that you sit there and, and, and you see me preaching, you think, oh, Paul doesn't understand my sins. I, I do. Of course I do. I face the same temptations as you do every single day. I mess up just as much as you do. It's that daily running to Jesus, seeking his forgiveness and hearing those beautiful words, my son, my daughter, I love you, I died for you. Praise the Lord. Number four, praise God that in Christ we have knowledge. We know where this world is heading. Verses 8 and 9, it's been described as the key verse of the whole letter. With all wisdom and all understanding, God has made known to us the secret or the mystery of his will. What is God about? Where is this world heading? Which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect, not now, but at the end time. And God's purpose for his world, where this world is heading, is there's going to be a day when he will bring unity, oneness, to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. There's going to be a day when every man, every woman, every boy, every child is there sitting at the feet of Christ under his lordship. And you know, that, that, that just brings me hope, doesn't it? You know, as I watch this world get messier and messier and, and more evil and more violent and more vicious, I know there's going to be a day when God will wrap up his world. Uh, people might mock Jesus today, but one day they'll bow to him. Creation might be groaning today, but one day it will be liberated under Christ. Now, have you ever understood, friends, that when we gather together as church, this is just a glimpse of what it's going to be like on that last day where everything is under Christ. And that is why we're supposed to be different, to show the world that we are heading somewhere where everything comes under Christ. The last blessing is there in verses 11 to 14. It's that we have the Spirit of God. We are Spirit-filled. Praise God that we are Spirit-filled people. Let me read verses 11 to 14. In Christ, we, that is the Jewish people, because Paul is writing, in Christ, we Jewish people were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. It's all about God, not about us. In order that we Jewish people, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. And here's the shock, verse 13. And you, you Gentiles, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed in Christ... You were marked in Christ with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Do you ever think about that? That God lives in you by his Holy Spirit. It's called, you're marked with the Spirit. 
you've been stamped with the Spirit of God. It's like, like the, the sheep or the cattle have a stamp saying, they belong to me, they belong to me. And God says to you, you belong to me and I put my Holy Spirit in you. And the Holy Spirit is, is called a deposit. It's kind of like you know, the deposit you put down in your house. The down payment saying this belongs and, and one day it'll be, it'll be entirely yours. The Spirit's more than that though. It's more than just a down payment. The Spirit, he's actually a, a foretaste a foretaste of how wonderful heaven's going to be. He gives you just a, 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 a taste of how glorious it's going to be on that last day. I don't know if you ever thought about what it's going to be like to walk into the presence of God. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about what that first minute in God's presence is going to be like? And God says, no, you can get a glimpse of that now as you gather as church. People just surrounding the throne just singing and praising and saying, wow, God, you're amazing. See, my prayer in this sermon is not just that you would leave here understanding a bit about election and adoption and redemption and forgiveness, all these big Bible words. If you leave here tonight just knowing that I've actually failed as a preacher, my prayer is that you leave here with your hearts just buzzing and going, wow, God, you are amazing. And my prayer is that with your lips and with your lives and with your attitudes and with your decisions that you will say, praise be to God. I'm going to change the way I live now because I know that I'm adopted, I'm chosen, and I'm forgiven, I'm redeemed. I'm going to stop living my old way. I want to give all the glory to God. Now, I don't care, friends, how you choose to express your praise to God. Now, some of you here are much more outwardly expressive in the way that you express your adoration and praise. That, that, that's wonderful. Some of you here are much more reserved. That's okay. It's wonderful. I don't care how you praise God. But I do care that you praise God. I deeply care that you give him the praise and that you give him the glory that he deserves, not just by singing songs, but by making choices that show that you are adopted and you're chosen, you're forgiven and you're redeemed and you live a different life as you walk out of this building and you give Jesus the glory because he is the one who's done it all. You're in Christ. You've been wedded to Christ with your lips and with your lies. What do you say? What's the word? Alleluia. All I have is Christ. Alleluia. Jesus is my life. Let me pray. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, you are amazing. You chose us, you adopted us, you redeemed us, you forgave us, you do forgive us. Father, we praise you for your spirit who lives in us, who marks us, who guarantees that inheritance, that day when we will see Jesus face to face. Praise you for your church, for every man, every woman, every boy, every girl who gathers to praise your name. 
Lord, would you help us to, with our lips, with our lives, with our attitudes, with our choices, that we would live lives that that bring you the praise, that bring you the blessing, that bring you the glory that, that you deserve. And Lord, if there are people here tonight who struggle to accept that they're chosen and they're adopted, Lord, would you just open their eyes that they would see those wonderful truths? And for people struggling to live lives of praise and adoration, and they know that they are just ignoring you, Lord, would you just break into their lives and just show them how much better it is to live for Jesus? Lord, we love you. We deserve nothing from you, yet you've given us everything in Christ. And we just want to say thank you. In Jesus' name.